Welcome to The Partnership, the straight-up business podcast where co-founders chat co-founders with co-founders. I'm Jennifer Bettmeyer. And I'm Melissa Duran connor We know... We, a th- what are you doing? Go ahead. <laughs> we know a thing or two about being business partners. We launched media relations agency, Jennifer Beck Communications... A.K.A. JBC. ...together in 2014. So each episode, we invite co-founders to share their stories about building something new from the ground up. Today, we're super excited to welcome Chelsea and Christy Joseph, the multi-talented Haitian sisters behind the handle at NYCX Clothes. After getting started making fashion videos on YouTube, Chelsea and Christy went on to launch their widely followed Instagram platform to bring more authenticity, diversity, and inclusivity to influencing. Last July, Chelsea and Christy launched the next chapter of their business with NYCX Studio, a creative agency and physical content creation space born out of their desire to help companies find meaningful ways to partner with creators of color. Welcome, guys. Hi, guys. Thank you for, Thank having, you for us. having us. We're excited to be here. We're so excited to have you here. Um, Maura, our producer, has been talking about you all week, um, one of our producers. <laughs> so um, she sent us a lot of interviews and she's like, make sure you do all your research. They're amazing. And we did all our research and I feel like you guys have done an enormous amount in a very short amount of time. You're significantly younger than me, which really bugs me. Um, <laughs> and so- me too. So you know they're really young if they're significantly younger yeah. than Jen and <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was actually trying so to do the math, and I'm like, could I be their mom? And I'm like, yep, pretty much. Oh that's how young they are. So let's get started. I We would love to hear, obviously, a little bit about how you got to where you are today and what your path there looked like. And most importantly, this podcast is about partnerships and how co-founders work together. So talk to us a little bit about how this came about and how the two of you decided to go into business together? Okay, well, where do I start? Because the path has definitely not been linear. So we are originally from Haiti, which I know you already mentioned. Um, We moved to New York in 2010. And at the time, we just really were struggling to kind of find our own community Um, coming from a new city, coming from a different place. You know, the culture here is super different from how we were raised back in Haiti. And so having to kind of start it all over again was an interesting experience. And we felt like we weren't seeing enough of that online um, or people even to look up to us sort of like guides as we're navigating this. So around the same time, Chris um, developed this like passion for YouTubers and the way that they were authentically like expressing themselves. So she suggested that we start a channel together. And I just... (laughs) <laughs> you know, totally kind of um, figuring it out. Um, I was in college at the time and she was also, I think, either in high school or um, studying yeah. college and we figured why not give it a try? And so we could have never imagined what it would become, but this was right. kind of a super humble beginning of an RCX Yeah, definitely. We're both kind of, you know, interested in like the YouTube scene and how to really push our story forward, especially coming from Haiti. We didn't really see many people who looked like us. So we really wanted to kind of set that example and start it ourselves. Did you always, did you, were you really close growing up? Did you guys have a nice relationship? I mean, Melissa has a sister. I don't, but 
I, I'm always fascinated by sister dynamics. Yeah, we yes. were always close. I have stories of my mom telling me how Chelsea would just literally stare at me on at me on my crib when I was sleeping, and she would just yeah, be like, creepy me. Very <laughs> creepy. I know. I like to joke in a really creepy way that like I helped raise Chris because I was yeah. maybe we're three years apart, and I was always watching her and making sure like no one speaks when she was sleeping. Um, so right. we've always had that like tight knee. Um, almost codependent but not really yeah (laughs) and even when we um are growing up I remember Chelsea would always help me with interviews like before NYCX school like with school interviews with my homework so it's always been really tight-knit so it wasn't odd for you to say let's do this YouTube project together it was kind of like you wouldn't do it with anyone else I would imagine not at all (laughs) absolutely not I think the close bond that we have has definitely sustained the business Mm -hmm. partnership we have now yeah, and I think it's translated really well onto digital. I get we get a lot of people saying how they really love our relationship, and we're like we're literally being ourselves. So yeah, it's great that people best. are able to see that too, especially in the influencer world. And that's why we're so interested to talk to you guys because we're traditionally talking to brand co-founders, you know, like physical product or whatnot. So mm-hmm. it's interesting talking to partners who are digital influencers and then also now consultants. But I think it ultimately, we always circle around this theme of like, it has to be authentic, like authenticity, whether you're running a brand and, you know, you're building your social media platform as a brand versus you guys as people. I mean, I think that obviously is resonating because it's so real. Um, Absolutely. I guess I would love Mm -hmm. to know, like when you got, you guys had the, your YouTube platform and that seemed to take off. Is that when you decided to kind of transition into Instagram or other social media platforms and now, you know, kind of build this brand that you have that exists today? Yes. So it, I think at the beginning with YouTube, we were just putting ourselves out there. So we, around the same time, were developing our fashion styles and we found that we had a lot in common. And so we decided to start with that, but also we inserted a lot of our lifestyle kind of snapshots from living in New York City and exploring, you know, new restaurants and spaces like that. So it was very much like fashion and lifestyle. And I mm-hmm. think at the time, Instagram was starting to emerge as like this photo sharing album that everyone was talking about. And so we figured, right. why not give it a try? And mm-hmm. then it later developed into this platform where creators can start creating um, photos and content for brands and monetizing mm-hmm. that. But going yeah, into so it, we had no organic. idea. Right, right. So it was really very organic because at the time it was in 2014, there was no mention of payment, no mention of like, you know, like some of the terms that we grow to know now, like influencer content and all of that. So it was really kind of like a serendipitous um, organic flow. Were you guys conscious that you were kind of entrepreneurs at the time and, you know, legitimately starting a business or did it feel more just like, this is something that's authentic to us. We really enjoy doing it. We enjoy doing it together. It's a platform to share our story or, or were you kind of conscious of like, we can turn this into like a full fledged business. To be honest. Um, and I think the answer will be different for us. Um, I, as as long as I can remember, when I was maybe 10 or 11, I was selling anything and everything I could get my hands on. And so this idea of entrepreneurship at the time looked like me selling biscuits that my parents would buy for us from the grocery run. And we we're just like, 
okay, what if I could get my cousin to pay me 10 bucks for it? <laughs> and so I took that to school and even started selling cookies. And at the time it was forbidden and I got in trouble a few times, but I was making maybe a hundred dollars a month. And this felt like a lot of money um, in Haitian dollars. And so I think this idea of entrepreneurship Maybe these were the early kind of seeds that showed me, okay, mm-hmm. um, I would end up doing something um, within that realm somehow because I always somehow seemed like I had a knack for coming up with ways to make money, especially when I felt like I couldn't get enough of my parents. <laughs> and so it would take on a new dimension, I think, coming here in New York where having a career in fashion and in writing is a possibility. Like those Mm -hmm. opportunities were limited in Haiti. And so I think it was an organic kind of like self-discovery where Mm -hmm. I realized that those were always my passions and Instagram unbeknownst to me became (laughs) the main way that we opened the door to Mm -hmm. ourselves. Yeah. And I would say mine has blossomed over time. I'm more of an execution person. So it's really good to have a business partner like Chelsea who can really see the big picture and like strategize to get us to that big picture. But I was the one who, you know, gave the idea for NYCX clothes. And I just became so fascinated with like visual Mm -hmm. arts and how can I express myself through that medium, you know, of course, we were from Haiti, so very like limited career options. I was kind of when I moved to New York, I was really able to explore that through New York City, through meeting people and through finally setting up our platform. So what was the moment, though, where because um, I believe there was a brand that approached you guys to partner with them, right? And I don't know if it was a paid opportunity or you guys realized this should be a paid opportunity, but wasn't there a moment where (laughs) someone approached you and you were like, wait, this is how we can make a business if there are brands who want to work with us and tap into what we're doing? Can you talk a little bit about that? And how, and like, what was your conversation amongst each other about what the next step would be? Um, this was with Rock's Box. Um, at the time it was a jewelry subscription company and around 2016, they reached out offering us six months of a free jewelry subscription and in exchange all we had to do was post about it. And so I remember when I read the email, I was like excited telling Chris, like, this is a thing. Like we only have a thousand, thirteen hundred something followers and this brand wants us to post about it. Like fine. And so we ran outside and then my uncle, whom we were living with at the time, had his like um, front yard was perfectly like done. And so we just laid it on the grass and we took that picture and we're like, this is fun. Um, But then eventually, I think a couple months later, it started kind of clicking that, Mm -hmm. you know, the brand is liking your content. Is this something that you can then start offering to other brands? And so that's when we really started investing in our photography Mm -hmm. and just overall visual identity. I remember when that brand reached out to us, we were like on top of the world, you know, we're like, oh my God, like we like were celebrities at this point, you know? So it was definitely like, that was definitely the way that it started. And we kind of thought to ourselves, huh, I wonder if this could potentially turn into a business where you could get clothes and you can get like makeup. And even before this, we weren't even thinking about payment, you know? So it was just kind of interesting that that component ended up being a big part of the business. So it was like, you need products to shoot content. So this one is offering it. No brainer. Great. Let's do it. <laughs> so Christy, you mentioned something about how you guys work together because you obviously handle different parts of the business or when, when this all happened and you started realizing, okay, like this can be something big and we can get, you know, free stuff and payments and stuff <laughs> like that. Did you ever sit down as sisters and say, okay, for us to make this work, 
you're going to do this and I'm going to do this? Or did it Mm -hmm. happen more naturally where once one of you has like this side of the brain working and the other one has this side of the brain working, so it almost happened very organically? Yeah, I would say it happened organically. We kind of were going through it in the sense that like we'd have many experiences where we'd kind of notice that, oh, okay, for example, Chris, I'm really strong at visuals. So like anything from like creating, thinking of creative concepts for our editorial shoots, anything from, you know, video editing for our monthly videos, we kind of, we kind of, it kind of came from that naturally where we just noticed that, okay, so this is some of my biggest strengths, you know, and Chelsea, for example, she's more of the visual. She always is calling me at like 7 a.m. talking to me about this like new idea that she heard on this podcast or some of the new stuff that we should be trying as a brand. And I think from that organically, we kind of like notice how, you know, some of our biggest strengths and some of our like biggest weaknesses are. So very much like a lot of late night conversation and early conversations. Well, that actually leads to my question of, you know, how do you guys balance being sisters and having your family relationship, right, and um, protecting whatever that is for you as a sister, but balancing it as being business partners? So do you have boundaries? Do you say, this is when we're going to talk about business, this is when we're not? Like, how how do you, or maybe you don't separate any of it. Um, I'm just curious. (laughs) <laughs> Good question because we we try to. Um, I think that Chris and I spend a lot of time together, and at times, you know, um, the hours that are dedicated to doing the work versus the hours where we're spending time together aren't always so clear. Um, at times, it has mm-hmm. felt like all we do when we're together is talk about work. So it, it can right. be kind of inescapable, but I think that we going off of what Chris was saying, like we always noticed like my strengths were always writing. I always had an interest in it and try to further my skills when it came to that. And Chris loves to take photos. She has her film hobby that she does on the side. And so we just kind of merged these two because Instagram brought brought those two skills together very seamlessly. And so we try to be very intentional about carving out time for us to spend moments where we can just, you know, relax, Mm -hmm. not even talk about work, just like, be sisters, you know, talk right. about, you know, if Chris is dating someone right now, or, <laughs> you know, she can also even have dinner with me and my husband, Michael, sometimes. Right. So we really try to be intentional about those moments because we think that ultimately they kind of fuel like our ideas right. and c- keep us motivated. I mean, if we're thinking about this, we're the first two people on the team, like it builds up mm-hmm. our morale and make sure that, you know, we're humans after all. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting too. I've noticed that over the past few weeks, um, when you work with your sister or like someone so close to you, when you're working, it doesn't even feel like work. Like me and Chelsea have spent so many days like together, just like typing away on the computer or like discussing and then having lunch. Like to me, that's like <laughs> leisure, you know, like that's fun. It's like work mm-hmm. and fun is are mixed together. So it doesn't really feel like work. But yeah, we do enjoy the occasional margarita or like bike ride to our local coffee shop if we think about this from the aspect of like two people considering going into business together there should always be a conversation about what each person is good at so that you can kind of delegate tasks accordingly Mm -hmm. and being in constant communication like there shouldn't be any rash decisions Mm -hmm. that may like negatively affect the other person we try to always keep each other in the loop at every stage of any project that we're Mm -hmm. doing absolutely I think I don't remember who said it maybe it was a past guest or somewhere we read but when you're thinking about a co-founder or a partner in business you really just it's like the airport test is that what it is like who do you want to be stuck with 
if you had to be stuck like overnight in the airport <laughs> and like be talking to like that's all the only person you could talk to like can you be with that person and I think that's still true if it's your sister your brother or husband or someone you're not blood related mm-hmm. to but you're still in business with you need to be able to have that kind of dynamic and that connection no matter what, um, where it doesn't feel like work. And you mentioned you're married, so I'm sure you will understand. So are Jen and I, like <laughs> you're with your partner, your business partner, talking to them more than your marital partners. So <laughs> you really oh need to feel <laughs> like that relationship is worthwhile and productive and, um, you know, worth all of that energy and time, sister or not. Right. So Mm-hmm. Totally. And I told Michael, like, you're also marrying into this business partnership we have going on. So right. just just get yeah. used to it. 100%. I'm like your favorite third wheel. That's so funny. <laughs> well, I remember when I first started dating my now husband, like I had him years ago come into the office, like after our like third date or something. Like we went out to lunch and he's like, all right, I'll see you later. I'm like, no, 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 come upstairs and, and meet Melissa. Yeah. My husband, we've been together for a really long time. He would send Valentine's day stuff to the office, like something for Jen and something for me. Like she, like he very much understood. He had two wives and he needs to cater. I love it. When they understand it. It's so no, I love that. It's, it's so it funny. Is funny. I do realize now that he has stopped doing that. So um, <laughs> we need to yeah, go back on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about NYCX Studio because that is your latest venture. That's the latest thing that has evolved from what you guys have created. Um, and that was born from most uh, – it was probably overdue in general. <laughs> I'm sure you guys wanted to be doing something like this, but it was obviously born from what was going on, especially the passing of George Floyd last summer. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, A, like as sisters in the U.S. experiencing, you know, I've never been to Haiti. I don't really under- understand what the relationship between law enforcement and locals in Haiti is compared to what it is like here. So I don't know if like this was like, your experience of it was so different maybe from people who've been born here living this, you know? Um, so I'm curious just Mm -hmm. what that was like for you guys, but then what was that first conversation that maybe led to saying like, we are in a position to do something and be helpful. And how do we do that? I'm just curious, like what that was like for you. Good question. Um, I mean, currently the the political climate in Haiti is not great. Um, and so a lot of the themes I think that we see here with, you know, even the riots and the the police brutality, um, there's a lot of that happening and we don't have the same level of protection that, you know, the American citizen can get um, here just because there isn't as much of governmental support, even though that support here can be biased, complicated. Mm-hmm. So I think that when all of this was happening in June, um, we, we always had this relationship with our brand partners where we always very vocal about what's going on. I mean, even when COVID hit last March, we immediately told them that any messages that were overly kind of promoting this sort of Mm -hmm. like affluent or aspirational, like we couldn't, we had to be sensitive to the fact that many people were losing their jobs. And so they understood and they allowed us to completely shift the messaging and make it about, you know, kind of that longing for better days or just like hoping that things 
get better while being sensitive of what's going on now. And so around June, the same thing was happening. Um, many brands were being called out to show their diversity and inclusion, number, their diversity numbers, how many people they had on the executive teams. And we were asking them these same questions behind the scenes, right? Like it was more direct because we had a direct connection with them. And they were asking us, you know, how do you guys feel? Like, what should we, what can, how can we better support you? Or here's the statement that we're putting out. Can you take a quick look at it and make sure that it's sensitive and, you know, that we're not being, um, kind of tone deaf right Right. or not reflective of what the larger community wants and of course we can't speak for the whole black community because we're not a monolithic group but we were sort of giving them pointers Mm -hmm. as to very simple ways because i think when it comes to issues of diversity and inclusion sometimes it's about even figuring out Mm -hmm. how to start and then how to continue and so we started giving them these pointers and we realized that you know this can maybe become um a uh a more meaningful um, second venture, right? Like we didn't, we wanted to create a clear separation between what we do as influencers, if you will, um, and the -hmm. consulting side, right? Like we're behind the scenes versus being in front of the camera. And so a lot of the brands were open to the diversity and inclusion workshops that we um, proposed at the time and mm. even having us advise more closely on finding different talent of color for their campaigns because one of the issues that some were getting a lot is that tokenization, mm-hmm. which is a big thing that's still happening, or even just the sometimes excuse that we just don't find enough right. qualified like talent of color to work with. And so we that's thought, no, true. this is easy. <laughs> I mean, we've been in this space for six years. Like, right. You can't tell us that. This is still mm-hmm. the reason. Who's that, that? By the way, that was a very smart business idea to separate the two. I'm just I'm thinking yeah. out loud right mm-hmm. now because as influencers, you're really doing something different than you are as the studio and as consultants. Right. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people would have just kind of kept it under one umbrella because you already mm-hmm. had such a strong following as influencers that you would have just said, okay, like, let's just add this on. But I think right. it's so smart that you really, I hate this term and it's so overused right now, like pivoted to like a, <laughs> a different separate venture, which works hand in hand in a lot of ways, but the mm-hmm, offering yes. is completely different. Well, and the great thing is it's going to live on, right? And it can live on. There may be a day where you guys no longer want to be influencers and decide to do something else, right? Um, but NYCX Studio is going to be necessary forever. And um, the scalability yes. of that is so well, big. you know, the goal would be for it not to be necessary anymore in the sense that this right. could become embedded, but we're okay being the right hand of brands um, helping them get to that point. And thank you, Jen. Right. I think that we've struggled a lot sometimes with mm-hmm. offering, sort of making the value proposal outside of influencing. You know, often a lot of brands are like, we want to cast you in the campaign. We're like, great. Right. No. But one, but- we don't want to be the only ones that you cast. Exactly. And two, let us show you how to think about right. the campaigns. There's a longer pathway to what you're doing at Studio. And I think, you know, I think a lot of time, I think this happens a lot with women. People don't see them as multifaceted and they say, okay, right. like you're influencers and that's your exactly. lane and that's you just it, stay right. in your lane. And right. I think people don't realize that there's a, a million other business ideas going on. I mean, even with Melissa and I, you know, people see us as like publicists and they're like, okay, like you guys do PR, that's what you do. And I would mm-hmm. say like 50% of our conversations are like, what other things can we launch? Mm-hmm. You know, what businesses right. are not being talked about? Like, how are women being underserved? So mm-hmm. there's, I just appreciate that you guys saw this void. You realized you were the ones that 
could address it. You had a platform, mm-hmm. but you were willing to take the risk mm-hmm. to develop a yeah. new business. I imagine mm-hmm. though, you guys have probably faced resistance or maybe uncomfortable um, encounters with these conversations. I'm curious how, in, obviously we don't need to name names. It's more of how, like what was the circumstance and how did you guys decide to deal with it together as a team and, or not, or walk away from it. I'm curious, um, about that. I think, you know, different. So there are many reasons why a brand may or may not even be open to this kind of work, right? Like what we offer diversity and inclusion specific consulting, but what we want to do is really transform the way that we do storytelling in general. So that's also social media, that's also content creation. And with the studio, we offer physical space where people can actually do that, whether it's just for themselves or for the brands that they work with. And so there are factors like, you know, the budget or even just the brand's commitment to doing the work and sustaining it over a couple months. I think that what we saw was there was this kind of react um, yeah. approach, I think at the beginning mm-hmm. where, you know, a lot of brands felt like they had to act immediately and then now it's, it's feeling it's like it's down. kind of dropping off. Um, and so it's really about making it kind of like making them realize the value of it, right? Like mm-hmm. not just as, oh, this other thing that we have to do, but more so something that should have already been embedded into In the, the company culture, into the brand DNA, so that it doesn't feel like, um, you know, it's it's like yet another business thing to like allocate mm-hmm. resources to. And then the, the other thing on the topic of resources is actually getting brands to commit the proper mm-hmm. resources to do mm-hmm. that, right? Like this isn't, should, this shouldn't necessarily be something that you burden your employees with, you know, like there are people who are specifically trained in this kind of work and who can help you do that. And so being willing to have that conversation and offering the proper um, compensation, I think that brands just maybe don't value it as much because it doesn't necessarily right. seem like there's an immediate return um, mm-hmm. as they should. It's so interesting hearing you talk about that, I could actually listen to you guys for a long time. Um, <laughs> when all of this happened, and and this has happened in, in many different areas for us, right? Like with COVID, with Black Lives Matters, mm-hmm. with what's going on in the Asian community right now, and just a lot going on. It even started with like Time's Up and Women a few years ago. Right. Um, we often have our clients reach out to us to say, you know, what can we do? Like, should we post on Instagram? Should we do this? Should we do that? And Melissa and I always say the same thing, which is like, if it's not authentic and if you're not really willing to back it up and actually do what you say you're doing um, and to support it in a tangible way, which takes time, by the way, it, it's not mm-hmm. going to happen because you do like one workshop. It, it takes time. Right. Then, right. then don't bother. And I, I, to be honest, we've lost clients that way because we've had uncomfortable mm-hmm. conversations with clients that we realize in those conversations, they're probably not the right fit for us because- they don't have the right. same values we do, which is fine. Exactly. Um, but it's, it is interesting to see that you guys are working with brands and that you are pushing to like, you know, there is going to be a budget attached to this. There is going to be work attached to this. You are going to have to tap into your team so that they mm-hmm. have actionable items. You know, it's, it's not just as simplistic as making a statement. No, right. it's not. And it's so but- frustrating to see that. You know, um, so we just try to focus on the ones who are open, who are willing, Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, you can only control what you do. 
But what I think is interesting that's come out of the, you know, June protest is that there's a lot more accountability. Like, I feel like, as Chelsea said, some brands, you know, it, it's kind of phased out in the sense that some brands are like, oh, back to normal. But I feel like there's so many, um, you know, companies and like brands and like Facebook groups that are that are kind of um, keeping these brands accountable. So I feel like in a way it's, it's a double edged sword because they know that they have to do it because they're going to get canceled, but they're also like not really mm-hmm. putting the effort. So it's definitely like a balancing act. Yeah. I mean, it feels a totally. little bit like, yes, there's the accountability happening, but there isn't this like mass accountability happening yet. That is like creating mm. that tipping point where brands are forced. Right. I actually at this point don't care if they do it from the right place, but that they just do it at this point. So, but I feel like <laughs> the consumer is, we're not quite there yet from an accountability perspective where the mass market and the mass consumer is demanding this change, but hopefully mm-hmm. it'll get there yeah. Um, soon. Um, yeah. And I think there are, there are isolated cases and I mean, there are isolated cases of call out and, there hasn't necessarily been, I guess, a concerted effort on the brand yeah. side um, mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it's also, I guess, a new thing. Um, and I feel like they need to kind of figure out, like, they, the, the incentives part, like, haven't really, like, they haven't right. really seen that side of it. You know, like, if you think about it from a very business straightforward perspective, it's like, what is the return on right. that? But actually, there is a return on it because we have shown, you know, the buying power of so many different groups of people who are minorities, you know, and being able to implement these in a way that doesn't feel like, oh, here, this work, like we have to figure out how to approach it versus just integrating them naturally. And I think that's part of why it's such a slow rise. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So I want to just pivot a little bit back towards your partnership. We, we now said yeah. pivot twice. On this. <laughs> um, we have to bleep it out. It'll be like a curse word. Oh <laughs> but I want to talk, I just want to go back to that a little bit um, because the podcast is the partnership um, and talk again a, a little bit more about your relationship and how, and maybe like the future of what your relationship and partnership is going to be. You know, do you guys sit and strategize or think or dream like what we've, you know, we've started our influencing brand. Now we have this consulting brand. Um, do you kind of like sit and think about what's next or do you feel like the things that are happening organically and naturally is because that's what it should be, you know, versus in like letting it happen. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious, like how you guys think about it now as business partners, um, for your kind of the bigger Mm -hmm. brand as a whole. Yeah, we definitely take time and like think about, you know, the future of NYCX clothes and NYCX studio. But in the short term, we're, re- we're really working to develop like a well-rounded network of progressive and conscious and modern brand partners, especially for NYCX studio and NYCX clothes. So that's really what we're, you know, what's on our purview. Yeah, I think um, it's all the goal is also changing as new fa- new platforms come in or just trends in general in the digital right. marketing space. And so, what we're saying now may look different, but the mission mm-hmm. is still the same. It's still the same. So, I agree with what Chris said. I think that in the short run, we do want to create this network both for NICX and NICX mm-hmm. Studio. And within five years, one of our big priorities has also been to bring in a team, you know, of people who are not only passionate about both of the brands and believe in what we're trying to build, but also love working with each other. And so hopefully I think in five years time, NICX will become, and NICX Studio, they'll become kind of bigger, more full-fledged like operations where we'll have, you know, different products with like merchandise, mm-hmm 
yeah, studio spaces, newsletters, Courses, physical like, events, that. that sort of thing, making it more of a media company empire yeah. powerhouse, if you will. I see it. <laughs> yes. So. so, have you guys <laughs> taken the leap to make your first hire, or is it still everything comes down to you too? Um, yeah, we actually work, we're currently working with an intern. We hired her, I think back in, um, January. Yeah. Yeah. February. And yeah, it's been going, it's been going well. We've definitely like learned from, you know, the whole hiring process, how to be a boss, how to be a manager, because our relationship has mostly been within ourselves and we're sisters, you know, so it's easier to manage that. And it was definitely a learning curve to like, you know, see how to manage mm-hmm. someone and take that to the next level. Yeah. We put out um an a posting on our friends every stylish girl. I don't know if yeah. you've heard of it, but she specifically promotes black mm-hmm. and brown women in fashion and media. So we put out um a posting today to hire a social media and community manager. Oh, and so hopefully that's like the first step towards yeah. um more roles because we could definitely use the help since I work full time and Chris freelances. But um hiring is such a tricky and challenging thing <sighs> that you are we working to, to the choir. Very- <laughs> <laughs> I we mean- could definitely Here's the thing, seven years into almost eight years into owning this business, and I've been doing this for, you know, almost 20 years now, I will tell you, it is still the hardest part of running a company. It, we have used headhunters, recruiters, we have an amazing chief of staff, like, Get, finding great talent that not mm. only is very good at their job, but also they have the same value, you know, similar right. value system. They're in line with what your company's values are. They're a kind person. They're easy to work with. They're, they will bust their ass, you know, like it's, yeah. it's really hard to find that fit. It's like dating. Like I always <laughs> say like, you know, when I was dating before I met my husband, it was, you know, a fucking nightmare. And I would go on all these dates and I would go home and I'd be like, this guy sucked and that guy sucked. And it's the same thing when you're looking for great hires, you need to find someone that you just feel connected with right. that, you know, you're going to want to be in a room with. That's obviously unbelievably important. But from a business perspective, you can waste so much time and money hiring the wrong people and then having to rehire. So it really becomes almost a second skill set when you are leading a business is finding the right people. But my biggest piece of advice is when you find that talent who you know is amazing, do whatever you can to not let them go. Like keep them Right. make them happy, yeah. give them what they want. <laughs> um, because it's really hard. I mean, you want to keep those people cause it's going to be so much harder to find mm-hmm. someone just as good. I'm writing that down. Yeah. Someone actually gave me very good advice a few years ago, which I constantly am talking to Melissa about and our chief of staff, which is don't be so set on job descriptions in a specific job role. Just continually mm. look for great people and good talent mm. because there's not tons, right? Like, especially from a PR perspective, like most PR people suck. Like it's just very hard to find a PR person who approaches Mm. brands the way that we do um, and understand storytelling and all the things that we do at JBC. So Melissa has interviewed people because I am no longer allowed to interview people because I'm horrible at it. Oh my God, me too. I mean, I'm horrible. And she will come to me and say like, I met this great girl and she is totally gets our approach, but you know, she works in fashion and we have no fashion openings right now. 
And it's like, we needed to get to a point where we said, it doesn't matter. Let's just hire her. We may not have a specific slot right now, but maybe she can support this division or maybe we'll get new business soon because it's so hard to find those people that even if they don't fit into a specific job description Mm -hmm. perfectly, Mm -hmm. you need to hold on to them. That's such a good tip. And I think we've had to learn this the hard way recently. We had a terrible experience with a PR firm that we contracted earlier this year. And honestly, I think we still have PTSD from their lack of professionalism. (laughs) But uh, it definitely... Right. But it definitely taught us, you know, what to look for in potential team members Mm -hmm. and also how we can be more confident in the decisions we make. So we're a lot more intentional and cautious when we engage like anyone, like photographers and assistants. Totally. And I love what you said, Jen, about, you know, just hiring the person and you'll figure out where they fit in later, because I also feel like I'm someone who's had a different like different backgrounds, I guess, like social media and writing, you know, like how do you even separate? Because that's something that has that like I'm on the editorial side right now and having a knowledge of you know Instagram and how to package your content for different platforms is something that's super useful and so humans are not you know siloed mm-hmm. in like right. one specific oh set of skills like we are multi talented people and so um, we'll yeah. think of that I mean that's the beauty of running startups or young businesses because they're way more nimble they're way more open more creative to people who have backgrounds are a little bit off center and that's okay. Um, and, and I think that's like kind of the beauty of why where we are today from just like a business perspective is so great is because there's so much more flexibility. There's so much more openness to different walks of life and different talent, different experiences. So, um, you know, I think also, it's just, it, it makes everything just more exciting and inspiring. Like, and sometimes you need to watch people in action. Like I can think of two specific instances at JBC where we hired two people for job roles and then we ended up creating divisions Mm -hmm. around them in Mm. totally different like we have one woman jenna who we hired as a traditional publicist and she came in and she was overseeing accounts and then as she was kind of growing we realized she had this real knack for executive positioning and thought leadership and she really was booking all of her clients on every, every like great conference and great panel. And we had been toying with the idea of really isolating that division. And we actually like went to her and we said, this was not our idea. It was our SVP Libby's <laughs> idea, but we went to her and said, listen, we want to develop a thought leadership division and we want you to run it. And so she completely wow. transitioned her role. Wow. And I think three years later now, Melissa, she has an entire yeah. team and she runs that division, you know? And that. so it, a lot of it too is just hiring someone you really believe in. Mm. And as they're, you know, kind of spending time with you and understanding your company, figuring out what she does best and how to empower her to do that or him. Yeah. Um, oh, we have I a love lot of that. Such a oh great my God. Love. So, Definitely love writing this down. <laughs> I know. Well, this is what happens when you've been doing this a long time. You actually like, you learn a few things. We honestly just use this podcast as an opportunity to talk to cool people. And um, I think hopefully (laughs) end up with enough relevant content for the topic of our podcast to have an episode. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, I mean, before we like jump to the kind of like ending part though, is there anything you would want kind of brands to know as they're navigating this space. I don't want you to kind of like give away free advice, but if there were a few learnings that you thought any founders that maybe are super small and, you know, kind of, again, navigating how to, you know, deal with some of these heavier topics, is there any kind of like small learnings you could offer that may help? 
Yes, totally. Um, I mean, we've been doing this for a couple of months now, officially, the the agency work um, and some things that we've noticed that I guess could help other brands. I think that it's important to bring in um, the, any community that you're trying to uplift. Like, don't just blindly jump into a, a hashtag, you know, for social media graphics without first looking at your four walls because the truth mm-hmm. will come out, especially if you've had a track record where employees felt like you weren't valuing them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always important to start internally first, then with the social graphics, right? right. And so I think that my advice <laughs> would be for brands to bring people at every stage of the process that they are like trying to put out whether it's like a campaign you know Mm -hmm. one you need to make sure you allocating sufficient budget so that the person that you're the people that you're going to hire they feel respected and valued going into this partnership there's this big conversation in the influencer space right now with pay disparity where there's this unequal Mm -hmm. treatment of black creators in comparison to white creators they're offered gifting more often Mm -hmm. whereas the creators are often paid opportunities and so Brands have to make sure kind of going into this, even if they don't have a budget, to just respectfully, you know, yeah. show regard for the person's time and the person's and figure out ways that they can make meaningful trades. But I think mm-hmm. overall, it's always just about not assuming that you know someone's story um, because you're in a certain position of power or to tell right. the story for them. Mm-hmm. It only takes, you know... It never ends well when a brand tries to insert themselves into an influencer campaign without even right. taking the audience, mm-hmm. like, taking a pause of just like the overall, reading the room, basically. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's super important that, you know, they know kind of, they admit what they don't know and that right. they ask like, you know, the community members that they're trying to uplift for their input on the creative, on the concept, just basically start to finish so that it's a true collaboration. And that works for any kind of project across business. I don't think it's specific to that. Um, topic. I'd like to add to that too. And in terms of diversity, brands trying to manage that, I think it's really important to hire internally, um, uh, like people that are really diverse. Because I think a lot of the problem comes from not having an internal team that's Mm -hmm. diverse. So the point of view is often missed. And so if you have these individuals who are able to, you know, really concept campaigns from start to finish, people will definitely not only react more to it. And I think they will identify to the message that the brand is trying to, sh- to portray. So definitely totally. hire, hire yeah, diverse people. Right. I think that like we talk a lot, even in one of our workshops about like the affinity bias, like we all do it. We go towards the people who look like us when we're hiring, you know, we ask, you know, that other person who's our friend to refer someone else and then that can maybe keep the, the, the circle very homogeneous and so I think that it takes a super proactive approach to like not fall right. into um, that mm-hmm. trap because it's super it's really yeah, easy yeah absolutely and there are a lot of directories too for black and brown talent like our friend Nana created Every Stylish Girl which is I think Chelsea mentioned it earlier it's a directory where brands are able to you know find black and brown talent within fashion and media so there's a lot of those out there just have to look. That's great. I We should 100% build a resource for that too and pull all of these um, great. Mm-hmm. You know, I hadn't heard of every stylish girl. So that'll be a good one for us to mm-hmm. keep um, our eye on and totally. share with our brands for sure. So thank you for that. Awesome. Amazing. Well, obviously this has been awesome. We started something new this season um, and kind of crowdsourcing questions from our audience so they can ask the questions they want to have answered by the entrepreneurs we talk to. So um, it'll be two quick questions. Um, The first one comes from Annie, and I'm curious if this is my mom because her name is Annie. But anyway... (laughs) The question is, what has been the most rewarding moment in your career so far? 
So for me personally, it was when we launched NYCX Studio and this big brand, Cause, who is owned by H&M, they they accepted that we, you know, that we managed their multi, um, their multi-layered campaign. So we basically created a, a video campaign for them that weaves in their products as well as members from the community. So we hired um, someone in England. She was an editor for a magazine, a lifestyle editor. Paula Sutton. You Paula saw Sutton. her profile. She was, yeah, she's she like cottagecore. Yeah, she Hill House Vintage. Hill House Vintage. That's her username. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were able to create a video series where, you know, we were, we, we, we weaved in her, you know, her audience and we were able to really put the cause name into her platform and vice versa. And the results were amazing. I remember the team was telling us that they, it was like two, 200% higher engagement than normal. It was like their single best performing video and really, and it really reaffirmed our mission to really connect brands and influencers with you know, people with a message, mm-hmm. people with influence and people who really have something to say and who stand for diversity. Totally. And it, it was, it spoke to kind of just that power of when a brand does their research on a creator, they don't just mm-hmm. blindly try to attach a face to a campaign, you know, and take their time to really think of the concept because Paula in her case, she has a background in um, interior design. And so we did like a summer uh, launch soiree and how she weaves in different um, outfits from cause into that and so I think like also thinking about just like the concepts um, it's really good advice for brands to just like figure out other ways than than you know kind of one dimensional um, mm-hmm. concepts when it comes to portraying different influences of color and to build on what Chris said and my answer was more general to your question is anytime that a brand took a chance on us they saw what we were offering and respected what we were going to the table and decided to go into business with us like to me that's considered a win because it only takes that one person to you know open doors for others i remember when we first studied nycf schools like we had tori birch um which was one of her big brand partners very early on when we were around maybe 2700 followers like they went into a three-month contract with us and like you know these girls were just like why like I don't, like it, it, it was kind of like the imposter shadow we're just kind of like oh my god like, that's really me and so every time that a brand kind of takes a chance on us even just now with the agency when we did with recalls and then later we did a campaign with rails and we're in talks with a few other partners now so those are really considered wins because at least you're feeling like your your mission is in some ways making them mm-hmm. better amazing my question is from ellen my mom's name is not ellen um i do have a cousin <laughs> named ellen um but uh, she wants to know, you know, you're obviously approached by a lot of different brands. How do you know that a brand is the right brand for you? Like, what do you look for when you're looking for, when you're ca- trying to find the best type of partner? I love that question um, because we have a video coming out about that. But the top three things really quickly, I would say is the values. Um, it's, it's something that in light of everything else that's been going on, we're even more so than before. We have to look at the brand sort of like track record. Is this a brand that's ever been problematic in some way? Or is it a brand that's right. kind of like panic trying to hire us and that kind of stuff? So what 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 does the brand stand for? Have they always, you know, at least tried? Because I don't think anyone ever really nails diversity and inclusion. Like 
people are just kind of trying their efforts. And so we look at that. Um, that's a big one for us. It's super important. And so we also look at the product fit, obviously. Like we had a brand reach out to us about coffee that will make you lose weight. And we're just like, like uh, no. Like no. if you look at us, like that is <laughs> we're not what to get, we, right. we stand for and we do not drink coffee. And so <laughs> the product fit and the messaging have to make sense. I hate when a brand tries to mi- micromanage the creative oh process gosh. because it signals a lack of trust. If you go to us, you know what we do. You've seen the example of content. You should trust that we will do work that will not only resonate with our audience, but that will still be good enough for you to reuse in your own marketing materials. And then the last thing is, of course, the budget. It's a big consideration, although not the only one. But of course, a brand, again, going into a partnership has to show a level of respect um, Mm -hmm. for kind of the work that you're putting out there and not just assume, you know, here, like do a thousand things for like a hundred bucks. What is that? Right. (laughs) That's a really solid answer. Tell our listeners, um, I love saying that as if we have like 500,000 people listening, but uh, remind them where to where to get your information, what your Instagram handles are, if there's an email you want to throw out there. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're on Instagram at NYCXHost or NYCXStudio and creators can book the space. Brands can hire us for diversity and inclusion consulting, social media marketing, et cetera. Yes. So NRCX Studio, brands for campaigns or creators wanting to book the space and NRCX shows just for general um, brand partnerships and marketing. <laughs> awesome. You guys, thank you so much. You're so freaking impressive. We so appreciate you having us. Yeah. This was such a fun conversation. Listen, I have two little girls and if they grow up to run a business together and be as sweet as you two are as adults i will be so happy so your parents should be very proud thank you you're so sweet thank Thank you. you thank you so much